Welcome to the Brisbane Property Podcast with your hosts, Melinda and Scott Jennison from Streamline Property Buyers, your local Brisbane property specialists. Hi everyone, welcome to another episode of the Brisbane Property Podcast. Um, great, today we've got a, a guest with us, Chris Bates, uh, business owner, mortgage broker from Wealthful. So thanks for joining us, Chris. Thank you so much. Good to be here. Good to chat. Yes, um, a fellow podcaster, for those that don't know, Chris runs um, or, or speaks a lot on his own podcast with Veronica Morgan, The Elephant in the Room, and I encourage you to subscribe to that podcast if you're not already um, an avid listener because they do share some um, really useful tips on on buying property, investing in property, and, and generally just about property all over Australia and follow a lot of uh, the macro and micro sort of economics of, of property investing. So get on board with that. But look, today we're excited to be able to cover some content that is more relevant and specific to Brisbane and Southeast Queensland because there's been um, a lot of trends. But before we get to that, tell us a, a little bit about yourself, Chris. Well, so I mean, I always like to talk about the personal side just as much as the professional. So um, married, got a couple of young kids, you know, two and a half and 10 months old and uh, a couple of cats. Um, live in Sydney, but I um, grew up, was born in Melbourne and travelled around a lot. So um, yeah, I mean, I've been running this business for the last eight years. I started as a financial advisor back in 2007. Um, and you know, when I started the business, I was still doing financial advice and mortgage broking. And um, we really sort of stopped working with the older clientele, the, the clientele that was thinking about um, retiring, I guess, or in the next five or 10 years. Um, and we've sort of grown dramatically over the last eight years. We've, we've sort of really carved out a niche, I guess. And, and what it really sort of is, is that um, a lot of our clients are young couples and families. And um, they really come to us because they're trying to think through a property decision, right? And instead, most brokers sort of focus on the transaction, you know, just getting the rates and, and getting the loan through. But our financial planning, you know, background and history sort of sits in the middle there, I guess, and sort of says, okay, well, what are you trying to achieve? Where are you looking to move? What's happening with family and kids and schools? And um, our clientele usually is probably a bit uh, different to most brokers. Our average loan size is, you know, around that sort of 1.5 mil per client. And to borrow that amount of money, usually you're earning a few hundred thousand. So um, that's the type of the clientele we specialize in. Um, and yeah, so uh, we've got a big team now. We've, we've sort of grown dramatically. You know, we're in the sort of whatever you want to call it, the top brokers out there in terms of metrics, in terms of settlement numbers and things like that. Um, I got a big business partner four years ago who's actually in Brisbane. And um, we do about probably probably up to 20% of our loans come through the Brisbane market now, um, probably 60% in, in Sydney, 20% in, in Melbourne, um, all the surrounds of those cities, mate, pretty much all East Coast. Um and yeah, so our sort of philosophy is really just helping clients think it through. I know a lot of people say that in business, um, but a lot of people just want to do the transaction and facilitate the the purchase of something. They don't really stop and question, is this the right move? What's the alternative move? Um, and so we, we can sort of stay flexible. We work with lots of different buyers agents all over the country. We don't partner with one group and send all our clients to one. You know, even in Brisbane, we refer to multiple. In Sydney, we refer to probably over 20, to be honest, all individual local specialists. Um, and so we really sit in the middle there, guiding people, thinking it through, um, and then partner with the, the people that we really respect. Um, and then we know know what a great property is and know how to really guide our clients on that side. Chris, Chris, you, you, went, you said you went from the financial advising to the mortgage broking side of it. Why the change and do you, what, do you enjoy it a lot more or what's, what's the big difference for you? 
Yeah, absolutely. So in 2000, and, so the first 2007 to 2012 was all older clients. Financial planning industry is typically around that retirement phase. But then in 2012, I joined a financial advice business that had mortgage broking and typically worked with younger clientele. And I was like, I actually quite enjoy this. And, you know, I didn't know much about property, to be honest. I was doing a lot of the retiring, the debt, um, the share strategies, I guess. Um, and I was just like, I really find this much more interesting. I started, you know, Kate Baker, I was a buyer's agent um, that many people would know in Melbourne market. I was living in Melbourne, took me out and took me to open homes. And um, that's where my love of property started. And then, you know, after about two years in that, I was like, you know what, I actually want to be the broker as well. I actually want to guide that conversation um, and get good at broking. So I became a broker and a financial advisor. And, you know, bit by bit, we sort of fell out of love with financial advice and um, just focused on our mortgage broking and, um, yeah, so that's sort of the journey. I mean, the, I guess the the reason I was so passionate about it, for younger people, um, the biggest opportunity for them and the thing where we can make the biggest difference is on their property decision. Um, so, you know, what they do around their property decisions will ultimately, you know, what, what they do with their super is kind of commoditized. What they do with their insurance, um, I'm not making huge impacts, but if I can help them make great property decisions, not actual the purchase and the asset selection, that's where we use buyers agents, but helping them think it through and make that move. That's why I feel like we can make the biggest impact and um, and change their lives. And that's that's hence why we love it so much. And what I love, Chris, is that, you know, you, you're having an impact on people in their younger years. And of course, we know that compounding effect over time, um, it results in better outcomes long term. So I guess instead of catching people at the end of their retirement um, planning years, you're actually capturing them right at the beginning to plan for, you know, a more prosperous retirement. But, um, you know, the thing I love also is that, you know, in our line of work as buyers agents, we do get a lot of people that um, are just looking to purchase a home or an investment property. And quite often, they haven't actually thought through the finance strategy and how to set that finance up to ensure that the next purchase that they're wanting to make is not impacted to ensure that it aligns with their tax strategy. And that's the sort of advice that you're able to give and tailor to people. Yeah, I mean, they're both great points. I mean, I, absolutely. I think when you're in a financial advice world and they're coming to you in their 50s, um, you know, you sometimes think this is damage limitation. And and, and residential property, for example, is sometimes be quite, quite lumpy. Um, it's hard to sell down in retirement, et cetera. And so, um, I did, you know, that was one of my frustrations with the advice. I said, you should have come to me 20 years ago. Mm. We could have, we had a blank canvas there and we could have made strategic moves that compound. And, um, you know, that's another reason you're right why I love working in the sort of broking space it is a lot of younger clientele. Um, and I think you're right around the property decision. A lot of people do think that, okay, I should buy an investment property now. Okay, well, yeah, well, what, what's your budget? What, what what's your, can you afford? You know, what are you going to do with your home? Are you going to do a renovation there? Are you going to stay there? Are you going to upgrade? And a lot of people just think, okay, I'll just go and tick that box um, and I'll just get that property. And then all of a sudden they just speak to their friends and they go to a seminar or they read the, <laughs> a magazine and all of a sudden they've got a property, but they haven't really deeply thought it through. And, um, and or, you know, they just go, they just go along with the process and just get sold the dream. And we all know in the property industry, because it's unregulated, it's kind of, it's, you're easy picking, I guess. Um, and so we see those clients quite often because they come through various channels and, and they've got those multiple properties and we just sort of wish we could get back to when they first thought about getting their first property and stopped them and re-educated them and, and got them into safer hands. And so, um, yeah, that's, that's, that's what we do. And, and what sort of trends are you seeing at the moment, Chris? Is it from the first home buyers, investors, second purchases? What sort of trends are you seeing at the moment? 
Well, I mean, it's you've got to sort of. I mean, we're in October 2022. Um, in March 2022 to now, it's a massive change, right, yeah. to the to the landscape. So we, the the interest increases in interest rates have been enormous. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, even yesterday is obviously a 25 basis points, which was kind of a relief to be honest, because everyone thought it would be 50. Um, but just how much they've increased and the speed. Um, has sent shockwaves through, you know, people's confidence, right? You know, because they thought, or oh, maybe I need to factor in rates being, you know, uh, you know, interest rates that say four or five percent on my home loan as, as my worst case. But we've already reached that, and maybe we need to factor that in and heating that in the next two or three years. But it's already got there within six months. Mm-hmm. Um, the second thing that's really impacted it is borrowing capacity, right? So someone with doing their figures in March versus doing them now, you're probably seeing a twenty five percent reduction in what they can borrow. Plus, there's always a reduction in what they want to borrow anyway because they're saying, I've got to pay much more on my mortgage. Um, and when there's that huge uncertainty and huge increase, people just naturally want to sort of sit on their hands. Mm. But investors have been smashed a lot as well, you know, because how much they can borrow for investment properties has reduced 25%. Plus, you know, they've got to pay a lot more on their home loan. So maybe they've got less cash flow to fund an investment property, um, et cetera. So we've definitely seen a huge pullback in capacity and people's willingness to borrow. Um, we're seeing um, a lot of the upgraders, which is what you're going to start to see is quality properties are going to dry up, right? So all our clients that are wanting to buy, there's still a big chunk. Yeah, their budgets are small, but not everyone's stretching anyway. Um, they're all coming to us and saying, these are the four properties I'm considering right now. And you look at them, they're all average, mm. right? There's just because all the people with quality assets are saying, well, I don't really want to upgrade right now. I don't want to take on extra debt in this higher interest rate environment. I want to see what happens. Um, and I haven't got the confidence to sell first and I don't want to buy first, so I'm just going to sit. Um, And so I think that's what we're seeing is is a real tightness of quality properties. Um, The buyers are still there. There are some buyers that um, are having a great time at work and they're thinking, well, maybe I can't afford the higher interest rates. But with higher interest rates and higher inflation, we're also seeing quite big wage increases to some clients, um, which are offsetting borrowing capacity falls. um, the, The interesting thing at the moment, I do think the work from home, uh, movement and the remote work policies um, is is creating different segments of clients. We're seeing clients that are getting complete flexibility, work anywhere in the world, um, and you know that not only is their company offering it, but companies within their industry, some clients in certain tech companies, um, are getting that. And then we're seeing clients that I speak to them and said, oh, in you know March, oh, we're going back two days, and then actually, you know what? I've been told I have to get back in the office four days, mm-hmm. and just that that sort of landscape sort of settling down. I think it's going to take a few years where people start to have the confidence to say, you know what, even if I wanted to quit this job, I could get another remote job that would at least let me stay at work, you know, work from home three days a week. Um, And then that allows people to go and make these big lifestyle decisions, you know, whether it's moving out of the capital cities, moving to places like Brisbane. So I think that's a big issue at the moment. It's just that uncertainty around what their industry is going to offer around remote work. You've raised some really good points there, Chris. Obviously, um, rising interest rates reduces people's capacity to borrow and their willingness to borrow. But you've also raised the point that we're starting to see some pressure on wages. So we're going to see that um, offsetting some of those additional costs. But um, obviously, that's impacted on the volume of loans that you're writing. Have you seen a lot of refinances, people panicking, trying to lock in rates? or, Or that was more something that you saw last year when fixed rates were so low? We've always been a mass uh, heavily towards purchases. We just love that. You know, yeah. we just love someone talking someone through buying their first home. You know, we want to upgrade. We want to do, and we do a bit of renovation and builds and things like that. So we haven't really ever looked for refinance work. You won't see us trying to advertise rates and try to get 
you know, come to us so we can save you 20 basis points. But we have seen a big shift, not just from our existing client base, but, you know, there's people realize that, you know, the, the best way to save money on your mortgage is just to get yourself a better deal, you know, to mm. offset what the RBA is doing. And the loyalty tax is next level at the moment. The discounts we get for new clients versus existing clients has just gone to a whole other stratosphere, really. You know, existing clients are just getting um, massively poor deals. Mm. Um, and just, a, you know, anyone out with a home loan, even if your home loan is six months old, would probably save 40, 50 basis points. So it's just there's uh, – and you've got these people coming off fixed rates. They're starting to happen now because 2020 was the year when fixed rates dropped. Some people fixed for two years, but a lot of people went for three and four. Um, and so some people are coming off fixed rates and, and people are looking for better, which is which makes a lot of sense, but not just for saving money on interest rates. Extending your loan term reduces your um, your repayments, which uh, you can do interest only. is pretty easy now. Um, releasing equity as buffers. You know, there's other reasons as well to make sure you're on top of your refinancing. Interstate migration, let's talk about that. Obviously, yeah. you're in Sydney now. You've lived in Melbourne. Um, I can't believe you haven't relocated to Brisbane because it's the best uh, <laughs> capital city on the east coast of Australia. But that's um, that's a conversation we can have on another day. But um, obviously, there's been a huge, huge influx of interstate migrants into southeast Queensland again. Um, where are they coming from? And, you know, yeah. why is this happening? So I think we um, we saw this in the 2014, 2015, 2016 period as well. You know, the Sydney boom was really frustrating for a lot of first-home buyers and, and people getting to that family stage where, you know what, the time's ticking. We really want a family home. We really want to get settled. We really want to know where we're going to send our kids to school. Um, and we just really want that. And, and we can't find that solution, right? We can't find that solution in Sydney. And I was doing quite a bit of work in Melbourne here because I was sort of changing, uh, moving back to sort of Sydney and had a lot of clients in Melbourne. But Melbourne were very patriotic, right? They didn't want to leave the city. They loved Melbourne. And I think we, we've noticed a big change of people. Um, the Melbourne mentality, I think it was really tough down there. And they're looking at Queensland. Um, but in the boom the last few years, as Sydney prices started to rise um, and started to get out, not just unaffordable, but it was they could potentially make it happen. But that type of property they could buy for that budget wasn't motivating. It wasn't inspiring. And then you added the work from home movement. And then their other friends doing it and then the media behind it, I think people had a lot of confidence to go further afield, right? And it wasn't just Brisbane. You saw the Central Coast and north of Wollongong, et cetera. So um, I think obviously there's the affordability benefit, and then there's all the other reasons why, you know, Brisbane, you know, the climate, et cetera, which we can talk through. Um, we, haven't, we have seen it slow down this year. Um, mm -hmm. I think that's the work from home thing. Um, and, you know, Brisbane has had, a, I'd say Brisbane's had a bigger boom than Sydney, Melbourne, right? Mm -hmm. You know, when we look at what, uh, our clients were buying, you know, pr you know, 2015 to 2019. Um, you know, older Queenslanders, good blocks of land around the city to sort of 700 to a million, yeah. roughly. Um, you know, they're probably a lot of them have doubled, you know, or 80 percent up. Um, and you know, it's hard to find properties in Sydney that have done that. Um, mm. And so, uh, we're still seeing people move up there, but I think it's the only ones who've got real clarity and certainty. Um, we've had a couple of business owners move up there recently. We've got a couple of people moving back from overseas, moving up to Brisbane. Um, so, yeah, I mean, it's, it's still happening, but I'd say it's just because of that uncertainty um, with work and with interest rates and, and the work from home, I think that's slowing down. Yeah, it's funny. During that COVID part, Chris, the, the work from home thing was a big bonus for us, I think, because people were wanting to move up here, get a bigger, as you said earlier, bigger block of land, bigger houses, affordable, you're close to the CBD, good climate i mean we talk about our lifestyle as well 
Um, yeah. But it, that was a big plus for us. So it's interesting, interesting that you say that that's probably slowing down a little bit, that work from home side of things. Yeah, I just think because people want to have that clarity. I think people are getting their, you know, work's changing their, the goalposts um, and, you know, their friends are hearing stories and people are just, everyone's just sort of wanting to know that it's not just their current job, it's if they want to leave and go to another job, can they confidently get that? Whether And if it was completely remote moving up there, I think people just want to see that, you know, start to play out and then people have the confidence. But, the, you know, yeah. If we talk about affordability, um, you know, obviously we can look at dwelling values, um, but my preference is always to look at house values and compare capital cities. And obviously in Brisbane, um, median house values still sitting at $841,000. Uh, Melbourne, that's 937000 And in Sydney, uh, $1.2 over $1.28 million. So there is huge price disparity and yet the incomes are not, um, you know, that much different comparatively. So therefore the the price to income ratio, um, it does make Brisbane a much more attractive option. In fact, Scott and I spent a couple of days in Melbourne um, just over the weekend um, in Albert Park and we did have a quick look at some of the properties that uh, have recently sold in that little pocket beautiful terrace homes no car park um, but you know three or four million dollars and you know we we can dream about what you can get for three or four million dollars in Brisbane um, that close to the CBD and you're looking at you know four times the land size and four times the house size so it really is interesting um, to to understand the differences in, in different capitals of what your money will buy. Yeah. So I think that the, the two different cities, so Melbourne, you can still, let's say your budget is that sort of one to 1.5. You can still get, you know, a house, not a huge house. So you could go like in a North places like Northcote or, you know, Brunswick or in the inner West and still get, you know, arguably a really, you know, a home that's inspiring and an aspirational suburb that's, you know, got great schools and got great community and beautiful homes. In Sydney though, if your budget's sort of that one to 1.5, um, there's very little options. You know, you're not going to get into the housing market and you're really going to struggle for a bigger apartment in a in an area that really does expo- inspire you, you know. And so I think that's where you get the Sydney people move there and go, well, if I had a budget of 1.5 in Brisbane, I get a lot of, a lot for my money, right? Um, and I think that that's where, and I think if you had a budget of two or three, um, in Sydney you're getting a standard house, not even a, a semi in the east, but in Brisbane we know what you get for that, you know. And I think that's where you will get that affordability, especially people who aren't, um, in particularly tied to the city mm. you know they haven't got really strong family networks and um you know especially if they've moved to sydney from other states and um or moved from overseas and then they're looking for something a bit more affordable for their family i think the schooling options are a big thing in sydney because you know a there's very limited options and then b if your kids have to go to different schools the commute can be a nightmare um, and I think that's another big self, Brisbane. You know, I think there's great school options, but also the commute to schools is a bit easier for managers to manage, uh, families to manage. Um, and yeah. You're really selling it up. It sounds like Brisbane's on your radar, Chris, especially once <laughs> you've got your family a little older and um, the kids are taking themselves to school on the train. <laughs> yeah. I, I do want to um, talk a little bit more specifically about investment opportunity in Brisbane. Now, obviously, the most recent news that the Queensland government has uh, scrapped that proposal for uh, land tax where they were planning yeah. to tax um, investors who had land holdings um, in other states. Now, that's that's fantastic news for property investors that already own property, but it's also fantastic 
news for those that are looking to purchase uh, property as an investment um, in Queensland. When we look at Brisbane, um, we have, uh, a, we talk about it a lot, a, a rental crisis. Vacancy has never in, in history been as tight as it is right now for Brisbane. Yeah. Um, and we've had the highest rate of rental price growth in the housing sector um, across all capital cities of Australia over the last 12 months. Um, surely investors are going to start looking at the opportunity that, you know, these higher yields can generate. What are you finding in conversations that you're having um, with people, you know, that may be looking to invest? Or is it too soon off the back of the most recent news of this land tax being withdrawn? Oh, so, look, we, we um, you know, different people with different strategies. I think our, our philosophy on Brisbane, though, is, is thinking it through and saying as the city goes from, you know, two to three to four to five million people, um, and as that city, you know, starts to get more and more income growth and more and more sectors and becomes, um, you know, I guess it's like there's going to be an income, uh, a big portion of people earning a higher income, right, is going to keep on increasing. And what are they going to really want, right? So, and and if you look at what, what they want in Sydney and Melbourne, and they want, you know, nice box of lands in really family, community suburbs um, in around the city. Um, and, uh, you know, I, I, that's where there's scarcity, right? And so we, our philosophy was if, if the Brisbane economy is going to grow and the, the Brisbane population is going to grow, the portion that are earning, um, you know, better incomes is going to grow and they're going to compete over a scarce number of properties. And that's not going to change, right? And so if you believe that the population of Australia is going to grow and population of Brisbane is going to go for lots of those reasons we spoke about, that's the type of properties I'd be wanting to buy, right? Um, and I think that I think that long-term philosophy is what you really need to be thinking through. Yeah, I mean, you can get short-term benefits of renting, et cetera. Um, and, you know, there will only be limited number of houses for rent in those cities because every time a house transacts at a million, 1.5, the chance of it going to investors actually starts to deteriorate. And more likely now it's going to go to an owner-occupier. So every year there's less houses to rent in nice suburbs in Brisbane. Because investors stop playing in markets once they hit a certain price point because they haven't got the confidence or the budget to do it. Um, so every year it's going to get harder to rent great houses in Brisbane, um, which you can see in Sydney and Melbourne, right? Um, and uh, so rental increases are probably guaranteed for that reason, but also price increase because people are naturally, once they do well financially, they want to buy a house and they want to buy that lifestyle benefit. Um, and that's where you're going to get price income growth because the higher incomes are going to compete on these small number of properties. And so... I think when you, that's why I think you, you know, whether the market's gone up a lot or not, or, or trying to time it, you go, well, if my budget's X, can I get into a premium suburb or a bridesmaid suburb next to that that's got really solid quality land that's, you know, really suits aspirational families? Yes. Okay. Then let's, let's see if we can make it happen. Right. And then that's, that's sort of the idea rather than the short term thinking of where, where things are going to be. Chris, I know that Melinda just said then with the change of the, the Queensland land tax, it's too early to call you know, what the investors are looking at. If we go back a little while when they actually brought it in, what did you see then? Did you see people start to get scared and say, oh, no, I'm not going to go to Queensland because of the land tax? Look, I think, you know, some people do um, think about, oh, I'm going to switch states and buy properties in different states because of land tax, et cetera. And, and sometimes with bigger portfolios, they do. But a lot of people just want to stay buying in the state that they're in. or yeah. Um, And so, yeah, I mean, they do factor it in, but it's like a tax that you pay down the line and, um, some people just get really comfortable just kind of following a strategy. And even if it makes sense to invest in different states, they don't change. And so, um, yeah, but I, I do think it's a stupid thing for governments to take advantage of investors and forget that they're providing 
rental accommodation for fast growing population. You can't grow a population and grow a country without places for them to live. Um, and I think it's, it's a real tight line that they, they play. You can't, you know, be all for homeowners and not for investors because um, you just won't have a society. What I loved about something you've just said there is um, is buying quality investments in locations where there's a lot of scarcity. And you talked about um, bridesmaid suburbs or, or, you know, as we would call blue chip suburbs um, and those that surround them. You know, one thing that is really interesting to note, and we track this um, based on the previous census data and the most recent update at a suburb level, is the proportion of people that live in a suburb that are owner occupiers versus the proportion that actually are renters. And you can see that shift already starting to happen in some of the higher price point locations in Brisbane. And what that means is that purely by purchasing an investment property in some of those locations, you are creating scarcity for someone who is a tenant that wants to live in that area because that tenant is not having to choose from a huge volume of properties that become available for rent. And that naturally then um, puts up a pressure on rent. So, you know, compare that to a lot of locations in Brisbane where you might have 60 or 70% of the demographic group are renters. Now, I know in the current market, tenancy is so tight and that might be okay. Everyone can find a tenant, but that won't last forever. And therefore, people must consider at some point that there's going to be that downward pressure on prices and rent simply because of who's buying and who's got the capacity to buy. So you've absolutely nailed it in terms of Brisbane. And it's no different to um, to strategies that exist in Sydney and Melbourne, right? The only thing we've got to consider is elevation because of our flood risk. Well, that's right. You might, yeah, exactly. That's part of your due diligence is we won't look at these suburbs or these streets. It's just, you know, rules sort of pockets out. You might do that in Sydney, Melbourne, around the airport, right? Like these are flight zones or, you know, there's certain pockets, et cetera. But absolutely, I think that's one of the big uh, problems I see with a lot of people in the investment. They go down the apartment route, okay? Well, they, that's probably 70, 80, 90% investors, right? In mm-hmm. high density, et cetera. Or they go to you know, where it's a bit more of the affordability belt, right? And then you get this sort of lots of investors are going there because the yields are higher um, and then you're really tipping the scales to more investors. So you're getting more rental stock, right? So more competition for renting it. Also, people cash out of those. We, we saw um, uh, as soon as there was price growth, people realised they didn't get a great asset and then all of a sudden there was a bit of price growth. So they try to sell out of these investor hotspots um, as soon as there was a bit of growth and then you get more supply and then that pushes prices down. So... Absolutely. One of the benefits of buying a quality asset in areas where people are trying to buy houses to live in is every year it's harder to rent um, and also it's harder to buy because we're living in our homes longer than ever because it's not that easy to sort of switch houses. So people are just trying to get a house that's almost like a forever home and just stick in there. You know, maybe we upgraded every five to seven years in the past. You know, maybe it's almost double that now um, mm. in, in Sydney and Melbourne, for example. So, yeah, it's, it's a very line strategy. And I like the fact that you mentioned apartments because we haven't talked a lot about those, but obviously, you know, apartments, investing in units, very different to investing um, in a house. Um, However, you know, it's also very different investing in a unit that sits on a a 1,000 square metre block where you're one of four versus investing in a unit where there's 300 other units on on a very small block of land. So it comes down to not only location in that instance, but also scarcity of the product that you're looking for. Um, to buy. And I think that's why um, we're in agreement that getting professional advice to understand some of the complexities or just the fundamentals around, you know, selecting a quality investment property that's likely to perform or outperform long term just makes sense um, for anyone looking to get into the market. 
Yeah, absolutely. I think, you, you know, it's very easy to say all oh, apartments are the same, but absolutely there's the scarce products that, you know, the downsizers really love or where houses are really expensive. And, you know, but this this apartment offers house-like living um, mm-hmm. and it could be, a you know, a, a garden apartment in a block of four that's, you know, a new farm, for example. And, you know, it, it's the three bed, right? And it's got a great, you know, aspect and, you know, it's almost like a house. And so, uh, and downsizers like it and families like it and they can't afford the houses anyway. Um and so, yeah, absolutely. There's the, those those scarce properties, and but they really have to have something X factor about them mm. to because otherwise you end up becoming having an asset that's just going to be um, replicated and duplicated, and um, you know you haven't really ever got a supply restriction. Uh, I think when you talk about scarce, you probably look at the, the listing numbers as well. The listing volumes are low in Brisbane as well at the moment. Yeah, it's interesting. We can look at um, CoreLogic. Um, data. The last three months from July, August and through to September, we've seen a decline in new listings becoming available for sale. And that's, um, you know, spot on back to your point earlier around people that have got quality properties. They're not wanting to bring them to the market right now because they're probably concerned that they're not going to get a really good price. So they're just holding on to them. And there's certainly no evidence of forced selling but that said, total listing volumes um, here in Brisbane are actually accumulating and increasing. So more properties are sitting on the market for longer and not selling, which means that the price of the data, that the median value data is made up of a smaller volume you know, of properties, um, simply because the, the transaction volumes have slipped a little bit as yeah. well. But that's... Um, you know, not not an uncommon scenario given the uncertainty and the lack of consumer confidence that we've had, you know, in, in the most recent months. Would you agree? Yeah, absolutely. So I think, it's, you know, um, sometimes people, maybe they've got some properties and they like to read the news, for example. People are trying to enter the market and they like to read the news. And unfortunately, you'll see Brisbane market doing X, right? Um, and if you want to look at listing numbers, et cetera, what you really want to know is, okay, so the property, the areas where I own a property or I'm thinking about buying a property, what's happening in those areas, right? Like how many properties are actually on the market? Where are those properties? You know, is the best streets, is there any on coming on in those? Well, no, probably not. Um, where are properties sitting on the market? Okay, yeah, there is quite a glut of the apartments on the main road that are sitting mm. on the market. And so you can really get, if you go micro, you'll really start to really understand this story on the, the properties that matter to you, really, when what's happening at the market. Absolutely, you're going to see the, the upgraders are going to sit on their hands for the quality assets. Um, there are going to be people who are forced to sell, but um, but they're going to be a really small number, right? And that that whatever does come on is probably going to get sucked up by the people who are a bit opportunistic trying to, to take advantage of that. So, um, yeah, I think you've got to really go micro with listing numbers. And then you might see there's only three properties for sale on the market right now, but the market should be hot right now. It's October, mm. right? So we're in... The height of spring, if you're not listing your property in October, you don't really want to list in November coming into Christmas. You can very easily stuff up your campaign um, and then your property sits on the market over December and January uh, and then it becomes stale. Yep. So really we should see listing numbers really increase. But, you know, chatting to buyers agents down here in Sydney and Melbourne and, you know, they, they're, they're a good litmus test for us as brokers because, you know, they're having the conversations with agents. Mm. We're, we're at a good litmus test for, for buyers agents and um, because we, we're seeing buyers that are sort of coming to us prior to going to a buyer's agent. They're sort of saying, you know, we're thinking about buying, how much can we borrow or should we get a buyer's agent or not? So we know what sort of future demand is but and, and buyer's agents are really good at knowing what future supply is. Mm. Um, and, you know, from where our conversations, it's pretty tight. All agents are working harder than ever, mm. not only to sell stuff that's not great, to really get but also to find people willing to sell. Um, 
And so, yeah, that's sort of what we're seeing. So with, the, with your investors, Chris, and you've obviously you're a good one on this one, probably is a bit of a test. You've lived in Melbourne, you're living in Sydney. This is what we get a little bit of the time. I don't know whether you hear it or obviously you're talking numbers and figures, but when people look to invest into Brisbane, it, you, you touched on that price point earlier. What about also the type of house? Do, do they come with the idea? And we looked at this in Melbourne last uh, when we were down there recently, and most of the houses are de- down there are all brick and yeah. you know, solid sort of brick tiled homes. People are a bit scared or people tend to sort of steer away from that tin and timber, which is Brisbane. <laughs> yeah. Look, I think my, my attitude is that, you know, the, the heritage or the facade, um, there's a huge attachment to that. I would say in Melbourne more than Sydney, it's like everyone, once you're doing well financially, you want a beautiful frontage, right? It's all about the streetscape and the street. And, you know, you keep, you maintain that and you get the, the period features and then you add, had some fun at the back, right? You modernise it, right? Um, and I, I think, you know, if, if you were, you know, what you probably see sells the best in Brisbane is those ones with that amazing street appeal and, and absolutely. I mean, you don't really want to get one, I guess, it's a lot of work and to maintain, et cetera. And so I think that's where I think a lot of investors, but if you do a great building in Pest and, you know, you see something has been renovated in the past, um, you can protect yourself, I think, from that. So, I mean, for me, it's all about that that beautiful block of land that's got potential to be renovated to a, you know, a family home, but something that's obviously not falling down is going to be a bit of a money pit. Um and, you, and most of your money goes in the land anyway, right? Because that's what yeah. you, you're buying. Um, so, yeah, that's our philosophy. Um, and, of course, in Queensland, you know, those traditional character homes, the typical Queenslander homes, they are located in our blue chip locations. So, you know, when we get that inquiry, it says, oh, I won't buy a tin, tin and timber home. It's like, well, we're not going to be buying in a blue chip location because we will be hard-pressed to find something that's brick. And I think that's another thing that investors need to keep in mind. It's actually focusing what is the product type that appeals to the people that live in the location that you're investing, not the product type that appeals to you because you shouldn't let emotion um, impair good judgment when it comes to selecting a quality asset. Yeah, absolutely. And if someone is moving up there, then in their mind, that's what they, they do want. They do want that beautiful Queenslander, right? That's that they sort of replicate what they would have wanted in Melbourne or Sydney, um, that beautiful terrace, but I mean, not a terrace, but a, a Queenslander up there. And you know, that's why I think the biggest growth was in the previous boom is, is and we were getting clients buying out there 700 to a mil, like, not really anything, you know, I think maybe even a little bit higher than that. Um, but obviously it's a bit higher now, but I, I still wouldn't want to go and say, I'll spend 700 to a meal and buy something middle and outer suburbs in Brisbane because, you know, you're not going to get that interstate high income migration moving there to live there. I, I think they're going to potentially just increase their budgets and want to get into the premium suburbs. Plus people who are doing well financially in Brisbane want to upgrade into these suburbs. And so, um yeah, that's sort of our philosophy. Is it, you know, it's just because prices have gone up, it doesn't mean you don't buy something just as good in terms of quality. Mm-hmm. You just have to change your budget and maybe change location. Um, and and rather than just sticking to a location and just reducing your budget. I, I really liked earlier, Chris, when you when you touched on you, you get a lot of enjoyment out of helping people and setting up for the future. Um, if if people want that help, how do they get in touch with you and how do they get your help? Yeah, so we have a bit of a process. Got. Um, just reach out to our website, wealthful.com.au. Um, and our process really is, is just to start to you know, get some numbers from you, really, get the facts and figures. We'll do a full strategy. A lot of brokers sort of you know, say, oh, yeah, you could roughly borrow X, Y, Z, and then you go back to them when you've actually pre-approved and you can't borrow that, and she just wasted all this time. Um, and then you'll sit down with me and we'll talk through all your options, You know, talk what's the right next best move. 
Um, and then, you know, partner on the right buyer's agent, et cetera. So, yeah, we'd love to speak to anyone you, um, that's uh, found value in this. And we'll put all of the contact details for anyone wanting to get in contact with Chris in the show notes um, or in contact with his business partner, Ben, here in Brisbane. And, yeah. um, you know, we encourage you to reach out and take advantage of that strategy session so you can understand the difference between getting a mortgage with the lowest interest rate and getting some strategic advice around the best finance structure. Yeah, absolutely. And I guess, you know, for being a, seeing property portfolios for basically a decade now, you know, and we had like 800 new client calls last year. Um, we've very rarely seen the quantity strategy work. We've very rarely seen the positive gearing strategy work, if at all. Um, and so, you know, if I, my advice would be, if you are going to do it, buy one or two really top quality properties um, and get something that you can hold for 30, 40 years and get all the benefits from. Um, rather than any other sort of these, you know, spruikers, I guess I would say out there, new property we've never really seen work, et cetera. So, um, you know, hence why we work with yourselves um, is because, you know, we, you know, we know that you know what a quality asset is and you'll keep clients away from all this um, wishful thinking, I guess. Yeah, yeah, couldn't agree anymore. Quality over quantity every day of the week. Absolutely. Uh, I'll, uh, look, I'll let Melinda wrap it up and say a final thanks. Um, but look, from, from myself, obviously, thanks for joining us. It's been really good to hear your chat. Um, and I'll, as I say, I'll let Melinda wrap it up. Um, from myself, I'll talk again next week. Thanks very much for listening, everyone, and bye for now. Thank you so much for joining us, Chris, on the Brisbane Property Podcast. Awesome. Thanks for the chat. And thank you to everyone that's tuned in once again today. As always, if you've enjoyed this content, please don't forget to leave us a review on iTunes and share the content with your friends and family. Uh, We look forward to speaking with you again next week. Bye for now. Thanks for tuning in today. Please remember everything we have spoken about on this podcast is general in nature and we always recommend that you obtain independent advice in relation to your specific circumstances. If you liked today's episode, don't forget to subscribe or leave us a review on iTunes and of course, tell your friends about us. If you would like to get in contact, please visit www.brisbanepropertypodcast.com.au or email us at info at brisbanepropertypodcast.com.au. Feel free to send in any questions and we will try to answer them in future episodes.